Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us here at the Sonoma Avenue Church of Christ. We're glad that you could be with us today. It has been a difficult couple of weeks for our community and our country, and difficult weeks coming on top of difficult months. We have seen truly awful, scary, terrible things happen, and our country is fractured in ways that I never could have imagined even five, ten years ago. I was a little bit paralyzed last week with not knowing what to say about all that was happening within the community and the world. And for those of you who have been a part of church with me, you know that I tend not to wade out into political waters, as it were. So this last week, last Sunday, I decided to continue preaching on the Holy Spirit and the gifting of the Holy Spirit. I already had everything together and ready. I knew exactly how it fit. And so I preached on the gifting of the Holy Spirit. Wednesday, I wrote an article. And that article talked about some of the struggle I was having while trying to formulate my thoughts and to figure out what I was going to say. If you want to read the article, it's on our church website. But the genesis of that article was that I had tried to write a different article starting on Monday. And it was a discussion about how I had, with Nisha, tried to discuss racism and prejudice with the boys. And somehow I just couldn't land the plane. I couldn't bring it around. I couldn't crystallize my thoughts. And, and out of that process came this article telling it about how I felt like God was really telling me not just to worry about what I'm going to say, but to listen. And that afternoon, I had the good pleasure of having someone message me. And David Tedla reached out to me. For those of you who don't know David, David is a young black man who attends our church. And he thanked me for the article, and he shared that he had attended an online service with another church, I believe in uh, Memphis, last Sunday morning and then he watched ours and and he said thank you for the article because it explains where you're coming from and what you were thinking and and then he said this he said and it explains why you made the choice that you did and David if you know David well as far as I know David he doesn't have a mean bone in his body but that that comment helped me realize something it helped me realize that even though we had a time of prayer and even though we acknowledged the difficulty that was going on in our country, what I didn't say last week spoke to our church members who are black or of a minority. It spoke to people who uh, have gone to our church before and maybe who aren't here anymore. And I want to confess this morning it was out of my own not knowing what to say or how to say it, that I decided to keep that course. But I am so grateful, so very, very grateful, that I have someone in my life who loves me enough to give me the benefit of the doubt, to even encourage me, and then to very graciously help me take the next few steps in the conversation that needed to happen. And so Wednesday, David and I texted back and forth, 
We talked for almost an hour on the phone Wednesday night and coming out of all of that, I had a much more clear sense of what I needed to say and what I wanted to say. I have to be honest with you because you guys are probably feeling a lot of the fear and anxiety and worry uh, that a lot of us are feeling that most of the world is feeling. As I said at the start, the world feels very, very fractured. And because so many things were in chaos and because, you know, of, of COVID and all these other things, I just ran, I ran out of words to say and I was distracted by all that has been happening in the world. But I think that God, I think that God has something for us today in regards to the chaos and the brokenness that we've seen. You know, this is something that I think we tend to discount a great deal. But Jesus came into a world that was fractured and broken, just as fractured as our world is today. The, the Roman Empire was in, in charge of the area where Jesus was born. They more or less ruled the known world at the time, and Caesar himself was considered a god. Now, they allowed some local government to stay in place in all of these different areas that they conquered. And in Israel, in Jerusalem, they put sort of this dummy placeholder king named Herod. And when Herod was nearly 70 years old, he was stricken with an incurable disease. And it was at this time, shortly before his death, that Herod heard of wise men who were seeking to worship the newborn king of the Jews, and Herod panicked. Because if there was a new king of the Jews, his position would be threatened and possibly taken away from him. So Herod summoned the wise men and made them promise to report the whereabouts of the child so that he could go and worship. Well, the wise men never returned to him and didn't tell him where the child was. Mary, Joseph, and Jesus fled to Egypt. And Herod had all the male children of Bethlehem two years old and under killed. So he literally came into the world in a time of political upheaval and chaos, where selfish people were acting selfishly. And leaders were doing everything they could to get their hold on their little corner of power within their world. The Jewish people themselves were also highly divided. Uh, religiously speaking, one group was in charge of the law and another was in charge of the temple, which seems like such an odd distinction to be made within a religious system that required both the law and the temple, but it's true. The Sadducees were a group comprised of the wealthy and influential from the nation of Israel. They controlled the temple, the Sanhedrin, the governing board, if you will, and in many ways had abandoned some important things in order to make friends with and keep peace with whoever was in charge, which of course, again, at this time was Rome. They could also control who came and went from the temple, what happened within the temple, and the whole sacrificial system. 
So the state of the temple at the time that Jesus comes into ministry, a lot of that was the doing of the, the uh, Sadducees. The Pharisees were the teachers of the law. Their job was to protect the law and make sure that people were following the law in the right way. They were passionate about the law and believed, just as God had said, that it was his communication to his people about what it needed to look like for them to follow. So they enforced the law, and then they enforced laws around the law, and then they enforced laws around those laws that was around the law. And so following the law became more and more difficult. And the Pharisees looked down on anyone who wasn't living up to the correct standard, what they would call the godly standard of that time. There was another group of radicals uh, that would rise up from time to time and threaten the safety of Israel's peace with Rome. And what we see when we look at this world is that it is a world that was very much divided, again, just as much as ours is today. And one thing in particular that it ended up happening was the interpretation of the law by the Pharisees and others, but primarily the Pharisees, the interpretation of the law at that time created a stratification within the Jewish world. The law allowed many who spoke for God to exclude others based on their life condition, illness, perceived sin, socioeconomic status. If they weren't doing everything to a T, then they could be pushed out religiously from the community. And what we see is that those who were at the top of this system, which the Gospels make clear at that time, for the most part, who Jesus interacts with is the Pharisees, the keepers of the law. Those who were on top did not see or recognize the injustice they were raining down on others in the name of God. On top of all of that, there were very clear racial divides within the country and the city of Jerusalem. Romans were on top and Jews were below them. And the Jews, again, were, were, were split up into who was wealthy, who followed the law the best, all the way down to the most poor within their society. But even the most poor were better than Gentiles in most cases. And then lastly, there were the Samaritans. And Samaritans were considered to be a filthy half-breed who were not of pure enough blood because they had stayed behind during exile and married into the surrounding people. So even though they believed in God, they were not, well, some of them, I shouldn't say all of them, they were not allowed to go and worship at the temple because they were not considered the true people of God. So make no mistake about it. When Jesus came onto the scene, he came to a world that was fractured and falling apart, that was run by the powerful and the wealthy, that was run by those who felt like they knew what God wanted. And so many were pushed down in the name of God, in the name of holiness, in the name of of the God that they believed 
was the God of the law. So when Jesus came onto the scene and he started preaching and speaking to these people, Jesus' message was a very, very radical one. And we don't have to look any further to understand that than to see the kinds of people that Jesus surrounded himself with. He surrounded himself with all kinds of the wrong people. They were sick, they were poor, they did bad things. They were ceremonially unclean, which meant that if you came into contact with them, you wouldn't be able to go to the temple for worship. They were just plain dirty. They cheated, they lied, they did not belong to the people of God. And it doesn't help to look at Jesus' innermost circle either. A tax collector, a fisherman, no one extraordinary, no one of great reputation, no one that others would choose to help lead a movement, particularly a movement centered around God. And those who at the time considered themselves to be closest to God, again, the Pharisees saw all of these things and they thought that Jesus was nuts. From Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. There is so much that is here in this verse. There's so much that's here in this story. But what it so clearly illustrates to us is this, that there were people you were supposed to be with and people you were not supposed to be with. And the Pharisees didn't understand why it was that Jesus was spending time with these people that they had deemed were the wrong kind of people. To which Jesus replied, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And so here's something we see about Jesus pretty early on. Uh, Jesus was not a protester. Jesus was leading the protest. Jesus was not an anonymous part of the crowd. Jesus was leading the crowd in what most often was a peaceful revolt against all the injustice and wrong in their world. And it's a little bit hard, I think, for us to overlook the fact that when Jesus went into the temple and saw all that was going on there, he made his own whip and drove people out because, what, because of what they had done to the house of his father. But what is at the heart of Jesus's message? What is the core, the thing that he shared and tried to give to everyone that he came into contact with? Jesus preached 
and lived out a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. Let me say that one more time. Jesus preached and lived out a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus hinted at what the kingdom is like in that previous passage where he said, go and find what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. In this passage, he was speaking the words of God back to the Jewish leaders. They knew where it was from and what it was about. But in those few devastating words, he told them, it's not the system that you're living your life in that validates you before God. Because God desires mercy over sacrifice. So you sit back and you say, how can he eat with these people? And Jesus says, these people are the ones that I need to be with. So first of all, the kingdom's mission is a mission of mercy. When Jesus returned to Nazareth and went into the temple to read in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 21, it says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You know, you can have a really more dramatic or perfect introduction to the ministry of Jesus than this passage here. And there is so much, but there are a few elements that I want to emphasize and for us to focus on in this moment. First of all, he said he is there to proclaim good news to the poor. What might that good news be? Well, in a culture or a place where who you are is in part determined by the amount of wealth that you have, and when you find yourself at the bottom, all you have left to do is to beg. Jesus has a message for them. He has good news for the poor that in the kingdom of God, you will not be defined by your wealth, but instead all are equal. He has come to declare freedom for the prisoners. There is going to be an element of liberation to the work that Jesus is going to do here in the world. And set the oppressed free. Who were the oppressed? They were those who were being told that they could not come before God. They were those 
who were told that because of a mistake or a problem or where they were from or where they grew up were being pushed down even by those who claim to know and love God, they, they would be set free and oppressed no longer. And why is all this happening? Because it is the year of the Lord's favor. This is a work that God is doing in the world through Jesus. We also see that the kingdom of God was a very public movement. It's not something that just happened behind closed doors and in quiet conversations. Jesus took the kingdom to the streets. From Matthew chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Now, it's important for us to examine for a second how we might re be reading this verse. Because if I were to ask you who were these people, well, there's an obvious answer, right? They were sick people. And so it's easy to understand why we would read this as, see, Jesus was healing sick people. He healed every disease and sickness. But, and well, and it's true. Many of these people were suffering physically from debilitating diseases, but because of these things or because of whatever situation they had found themselves in, many of them could not be around their families because of their conditions. Uh, they might not have been able to participate in any sort of worship depending upon what was going on with them and if they were unclean and then if they could even get clean by Jesus was very publicly bringing people who were on the very outskirts of society those that were the most overlooked the most disenfranchised the most ignored and by healing them and showing them the mercy of God, he was restoring them to full personhood. Whereas the world they lived in had told them that they didn't matter enough anymore, the kingdom restored them, made them real people again. Which tells us something about the kingdom. There is no room for positioning, prejudice, racism, social stratification, or injustice within the kingdom. There is no room for it. It does not belong there. And if it exists, then it is not the kingdom. Jesus and his disciples had been traveling somewhere and on the road he heard them arguing so when they got to their destination he asked them about it and they didn't answer because they didn't want Jesus to know that they had been arguing over which one of them was the best and in Mark chapter 9 verse 35 Jesus says these words sitting down Jesus called the twelve and said anyone who wants to be first must be the very last 
and the servant of all. This is a core kingdom value that if you are going to be a part of the kingdom, then you are not seeking to elevate yourself. You are seeking to serve other people. And Jesus certainly showed us what that looked like by serving tirelessly others, by washing the feet of his disciples, by going to the cross to serve us. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all within the kingdom. Which takes us to this last little piece about the kingdom. Your citizenship as a follower of Jesus belongs to the kingdom. Jesus saw the end of the division between Jew and Gentile on the horizon. He knew that God no longer cared to hold up those distinctions. Jesus knew that the kingdoms of the earth would pass away, even almighty Rome. Jesus knew that in the kingdom of God, all would be welcome. And when Paul was trying to encourage the Philippian church at the end of his encouraging letter to them, he tells them these words from Philippians chapter 4, verses 18 through 21. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Something interesting that I think Jesus certainly saw and that Paul saw, and it's reflected in this teaching is that you are not a member of the kingdom of God and a member of a country. You are not a member of a kingdom of God and part of the Roman Empire. If you are a part of the kingdom of God, then that is where your citizenship lies. And it is the kingdom of God then that determines how you act, what you do, and how you encounter the world around you. Because as far as Jesus is concerned, as far as Paul is concerned, there are only two kingdoms. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of the earth, the flesh, the world. And those who serve the kingdom of the flesh and the world, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their God is their stomachs. They are only seeking to fill, 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 and consume, consume. Their glory is their shame, and their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. In the center, of the kingdom 
is the gospel. It is the beating heart of the kingdom of God. It is the love of God in Jesus that changes everything. Paul wrote about the gospel in this way in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 5. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. This description, this is the gospel almost in its entirety. This is the root of what we believe. That Jesus is the Son of God, that he died, was buried, and rose again. This is the foundation that the Christian life is built upon. And Paul considered this message to be so important that he said it was the only thing he had to say that was worth saying. From 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, wait a minute. Paul talks about all kinds of different things. In fact, he's in chapter, there's, there's 15, 16 chapters of, of 1 Corinthians, and then there's a second book to follow it. So yeah, he had a lot to talk about. But if you asked Paul what the whole story was, what it was all about, his answer would be simple. Jesus, the Son of God, died, was buried, and rose again. So what does that mean? Why is it the heart? Well, the gospel means that everyone, Everyone is undeserving of the love of God. All have sinned. All have fallen short. It also means that God loves everyone in spite of their failures. And that through the sacrifice of Jesus, God has in an incredible, powerful way changed the narrative of human history. From Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. This church... This was the good news that Jesus took out into the world, that he took out into the streets, that he showed to those you weren't supposed to talk to or be around or associate with. Because the thing was, 
that all those people, and a lot of them were good people, who had dedicated their lives to following God, to following the law, to honoring God with their lives, they were wrong. They were wrong. They didn't know it, and they couldn't see it. I'm reminded of the sheep and the goats from Matthew 25. And the thing about the goats is they thought they were on the right side. But they had not helped the poor, clothed the naked, fed the hungry, visited those in prison. They knew sacrifice, but they didn't know mercy. And God says to them, you don't belong to me. This message that Jesus took out was not accepted by everyone. But to the poor, those in prison, those oppressed, those sick, those pushed away from their family, those driven to the outskirts, those not understood, those who had no one to listen to them or to care for them or to speak up for them, Jesus spoke good news to them. That God loves them. That they are not invisible. That they are whole people. I've been doing a lot of soul searching and praying over this last week and there's something that's become really clear to me. If Jesus were here today, if he could speak to me about my life, what I've done, how I've identified myself and the choices that I have made, he would have some things to say to me. I'm convicted of this. As a white middle class male living in a beautiful affluent city getting to do more or less what I want to do without a second look. I have realized that I cannot begin to understand what people of color have to deal with and experience on a daily basis. I've never had someone move to the edge of the elevator because I stepped into it. I never had someone call the police because I was walking in a neighborhood that I didn't belong to. I've never had someone just stand on a corner and watch me with judgment and hate in their eyes. I don't know what it's like. And while I might have responded in dismay to open and aggressive acts of racism, I have failed to do anything to change the systemic injustice that happens all the time and every day to people of color. And whether you agree with this or not, white privilege was not something I understood. It was a concept or an idea, but now it is real and I see it everywhere real to me, I should say. 
it's hard to look at ourselves this way. You may even be disagreeing with me right now, both for my sake and for your own. Bryce, you're not a racist. Bryce, you aren't prejudiced. Bryce, you talk about good things all the time. And I would like to believe that that is true, that I am not racist and I don't carry a lot of prejudices around with me. I want that to be true. But what I have come to realize is that it doesn't matter whether I believe I am racist or not. Because if I am not speaking this gospel, this kingdom, this mercy into the world, if my eyes are not open to the inequity all around me, then not only am I not supporting my black brothers and sisters who have to face these kinds of things every day, I'm not even sure I'm being a Christian. So it's time for me to take action. And I don't know exactly what that action looks like. But I know that I need to release myself from the pressure of taking sides and trying to explain why things are the way they are and why I think the way I do. And I need to stop trying to justify myself, my way of life, my way of thinking, all of it. I need to listen to the stories and the voices of the people all around me, to the Davids who will text me and will speak truth to me, truth that I need to hear. I need to understand that my citizenship belongs to the kingdom of God, and because of that, I play by a different set of rules. I'm called to be a voice that speaks into prejudice, racism, and hatred, into that, that space. I need to introduce love, forgiveness, acceptance, liberation, freedom, and mercy. Because all of my sacrifice goes nowhere without mercy. I need to love everyone exactly the same. And above all, what all of this is rooted in for me, it's not in me being a better white person. Above all, I want to walk the walk of Jesus Christ. And if I speak, I want to say nothing else but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And when I share, I want to share the gospel and the message of mercy. And I want my life to reflect a God who loves people so much that while they were still sinners, while they were still gone from him and doing things that were offensive to God, he sent his son to die that they might have life. Over the next couple of weeks, church, we're going to be talking more about the gospel. I asked you to look at some questions for this week. I want you to keep praying about those and I'm going to add some more. 
I hope that this message leads you into self-reflection. At the very least, that it leads you into prayer for me as I try to live out the gospel in a more dynamic way in my life and to teach my children how to do so. My prayer for us is that we would proclaim the message that Jesus proclaimed, good news to the poor. Freedom for the oppressed, healing for the sick. Thank you so much for being here with me this morning. God is still God in this world that seems out of control. And as those who are part of his kingdom, we cannot sit back and lament how the world is acting like the world does. Instead, we need to step forward and live out the kingdom of God in this place. God bless you this morning. God, will you make the changes in our hearts, in our eyes, that need to be made. Show us the way, Father. Help us to listen. And if we speak, may we speak the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll see you next time.